Glory to God. Good to have all y'all tonight. Praise the Lord. We we are really, really doing good. We all had a great trip up into the north. You know, it was nice and cold. We got to see lots of snow and ice. You know, really lots and lots of snow and ice. I ain't never seen so much snow and ice in all of my life. But uh, Ty and Cheryl, they loved it so much, I think they're going to sell their house and move up there. Yeah. <laughs> I almost didn't get my Cheryl to come back with me. She wanted to stay up there in that ice and stuff. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you, you know that's all right, don't you, Deborah? Oh, we went to Germany last year. You know, we had four foot of snow. We got there, and within the week and a half we were there, it snowed four more feet. So the snow was eight feet deep, and Cheryl said, Honey, please don't ever ask me to live in a place like this. I just don't think I could stand this. But I'm telling you, you know, when you wake up every morning, it's zero, ten below zero. And, of course, the Rob, the pastor, uh, the little church where we went, uh, he works in the oil fields, and he was going to have to make a long trip. And so after we left on, uh, actually we left on Monday morning, but after Sunday night we had the last service, he went home. And we all went home with them. They had a big, beautiful home. And uh, we spent that last night with them in their home. And uh, he had to get up at 2.30. You know, we, we went to bed about 10.30 or 11, all of us did. And uh, he had to get up at 2.30 and drive five and a half hours. And he said, when I get where I'm going, I'll be there for three weeks. And he said, the temperature will be 40 below zero. So how would you like to work in 40 below zero for the next three weeks? Me or you either, girl. I don't like that cold. I, I love it 70 degrees, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. I love it. Wow. <clears throat> we sure did see some pretty mountains, though, and some beautiful country and some froze-over stuff. But I'm not a cold-weather person. I can go there and stay a few days, but I would not want to live there. You know, another reason I won't live there is their home. Of course, their home is a fairly nice-sized home. But uh, he said it cost them, they had natural gas there, and they keep the thermostat really low, you know. But he said it still cost $1,000 a month for gas to heat their house. How would you like to have a utility bill just for the gas for 1000 bucks a month? I believe not. <laughs> not me. You know, I'd rather live in Texas. But anyway, uh, you know, I did learn something that I didn't know that, uh, of course, a lot of things I don't know. But uh, they told us that there was more oil up there where he's at. They were building a big 30-inch pipeline, 150 kilometers long, to transmit natural gas. But he said up there in that part of the world, in northern Canada, there's more oil under the ground up there, and there is an all of Saudi Arabia. You know, so, man, all I'm saying, God put a lot of it in the ground, didn't he? He put a lot of it down there. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? You know, don't don't be concerned about nothing anybody tells you. You know, if you're a child of God, don't walk in no kind of fear. You know, I mean, there's people telling you something. I am. I have never been bombarded with so many prophecies from so many people that calling me about things going to happen to me and my ministry. I mean, it's just amazing. So I just take them with a grain of salt and go on. You know, I mean, it's amazing how people call me and tell me bad things are going to happen. Hey, what's the big deal? You know, the devil's been at work. But as far as I'm concerned, the beast is defeated. You know, my king's in control. As long as I'm walking obedient to his word, there ain't nothing can touch me. And if a, if a, um, 
I guess if somebody were to call me and tell me that there's fixing to be an asteroid hit the earth and it's going to destroy the whole earth, all i got to say is, well, my Jesus is in control. He made me a promise the earth is going to remain forever. So I know it ain't going to destroy it. You know, it might do a little damage to it. But if he does let it damage it where I'm standing, hey, I get to graduate and go home. You know, so what's the big deal? You know, I'm just like Paul when they said, Paul, don't go down to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you down there. He said, what's the big deal? He said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He said, I've already been there to the third heaven and seen it. It's great, guys. Now, if you've already been there once and seen it, you probably want to go back, wouldn't you, Keith? Who in the world would ever get to go to heaven and then want to come back to this place? Now, then, if you've never seen it, this is pretty good. It'd kind of be like, you know, going to some of the places I've seen in the world. Now, if you get an opportunity to go to Saudi Arabia, you know, you'll find out how some of the world lives. I went to Egypt one time, and that's when, of course, Betty and I, were. she was still alive, and we were married back in those days, and we took Tim. He was just a little bitty guy. We went to Egypt, and, of course, Betty couldn't believe. She said, I can't believe anybody would come to this place. And I said, well, honey, they come over here for R&R from Saudi Arabia. You know, Saudi Arabia is so much worse than this place. She said, if there's any place worse than this place, I don't want to go there. Now, see, we're spoiled, aren't we? We really are spoiled rotten, you know, and you just don't understand the rest of the world don't live like we do in America. We are so blessed, and that's why we need to praise the King. We need to thank Him in worshiping, worship the King every day. We need to walk holy in His presence. And I will have to say, before we get in Bible study, when we got to Canada, we walked up to Customs. And we walked up there, and the lady said, why did you come to Canada? I looked at her just a second, and I thought, well, I can't tell this lady a lie. So I said, I came here to tell people about Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? <laughs> and says, you can go down the red line to that office right there. So we went down there. And on the way, that Cheryl reprimanded me very heavily. <laughs> because people up there are just like some other countries in the world. They don't... In fact, the, the person... I don't know what they call the president. Well, there's, what do they call that prime person? Minister. What? Prime minister. The prime minister, the, uh, one of the people was a woman that run for prime minister of Canada the last time. And her platform was, we need to get rid of all Christians in Canada. So now that will tell you where Canada's at, right? If somebody's going to run for the prime minister or whatever... And they have the audacity to stand on the platform before national television that we need to eliminate all Christians in Canada. That'll tell you where Canada's at. So anyway, whenever we went down to the next office, Cheryl said, you better let me do the talk. I said, okay. So the lady asked her what we were going to do, and she said, we come up to teach in the church. And she said, what church? And so she told her. And what's the people's name? And so she told them. And after she stamped our passports, you know, I said, by the way, young lady, since we're here, I'd like to know, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And she said, no. I said, well, you need to know him. I said, he's the 
professor of eternal life. Well, she wasn't interested. So we go to the hotel. Walked up to the hotel and I asked the young lady behind the desk, young lady, do you know Jesus? She said, no, no, no. I'm telling you, I'm batting a thousand. You know, and it's amazing you go to a country and bat a thousand. You know, when you start, everybody you ask, they don't want nothing to do with Jesus. Then you can understand how a woman can run as the prime minister and make a statement like that. In fact, the pastor, Rob, he told me, I forget how many years he'd worked in the oil field, but several since he's been up there. Several, like 15 or 20 or something. I mean, a lot. Maybe more than that. I don't know. I'm sure at least 15 years. The guy's got to be, what, how old do you think Rob is? Uh, uh, 35 or what? what do you, how old do you think Rob was? Somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Yeah, okay, so 35 or 40. So he, he's got a what, 14-year-old son, wasn't it? Son, 14. And so, you know, he could be 35 or 40 years old, but he's worked in the oil field 10 or 15 years anyway. And I was sitting there talking to him the other night, and I said, how many or what percentage of the people you work with in the oil field that you come in contact are Christians. He said, in all the years I've worked in the oil field, I've only met three people that were Christians. Only three. That'll tell you something about Canada, won't it? If you work with all that many people in an oil field, and there's 15 welders working on that project right now, where they were, they got 50 foot joints of 30 inch pipe, and they got 15 welders welding 15 joints at a time out there in that coal, building a 150-kilometer pipeline coming somewhere across Canada. And if there's that many men he's in contact with every day, and out of all the years he's been there, and only three people has he ever met that knew Jesus. He said, they're, they're insane. He said, no, they go to the bars to drink, to eat up there. In fact, I got real tickled at him when he said how insane they are. He said, one night we were in a bar having something to eat. Well, there ain't no place else up there to go. You know, so he went with them. And he said, one of the things happened. He said, I looked over and a guy sitting down at the other end of the table was having sex with a woman right there at the table. Right there. Right there. I said, that's crazy. He said, no, it's insane, Thurman. It's insane. But he said, that's what they do up here. How would you like to live in a country that's wild? Not me. Not me. But that's what happens when you take God out of a place. Oh, I found some more details about that later. I'll tell you about that later. I won't talk about that now since I found out something more about that. Okay, let's go to the Word again. <coughs> let's go to the Word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you for the Word. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us this book. And, Lord, help us to be the bold Christians that we need to be so that people that say they know you will really realize how real you are. Lord, help us to walk continually in a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that by at least by the demonstration of the Spirit's power, people will know that you're real. Lord, you are real, and it doesn't take nothing for us to look up and see the glory of the creation. We know you're real, but some people don't know that, Lord. So help us, Father, in Jesus' name, to reveal you to people that we come in contact on a day-by-day basis. Help us walk where we need to walk so we so your power can flow through us to the people. Now bless us tonight as we read and study your word and everything we do. In Jesus' name, Lord, reveal it to us. Amen. I want to, just a little bit more, uh, I guess I should say I'm catching a lot of flack from a lot of people about I'm preaching too much law. 
you know, so, but a lot of people don't understand this, and I didn't understand it for a long time, so I can understand where they're coming from. People love to hear the message of grace. You know, they love it. You know, I mean, we're under grace. Once saved, always saved. I mean, you can come down here to Dallas and become a Christian, and then you can go to the oil fields up there and live like that, what we just talked about, and everything's going to be okay. No, that ain't true. That ain't true. When you become a Christian, you become a new creature in Christ, and everything in your life is supposed to change. And if it doesn't, then you either didn't become a Christian, or you're a disobedient Christian, and if you didn't become a Christian, then you're not going to have anything in there to tell you what's right and wrong, and you're going to go ahead and live just exactly like you wanted to. Or if you did become a Christian, and the Holy Spirit's in there, and He's prompting you, and you don't listen to Him, it's not going to be long. You're going to come down with something you don't like. You know, He's going to put you to the test. He's going to do everything. And all the way down to sickness and disease, and then down to death. If you're his child and you don't do what he says. So God won't put up with the nonsense. Now, he's merciful and he's kind. And he may give you a lot of years to teach you these things. But if he wasn't merciful and kind, there wouldn't be nobody at Bible study tonight. You know, we would all already been killed. Keith knows. <laughs> Keith, he says, I'm one of those. Well, I was one of those too. We all, we all go back and look and say, well, we got saved and we certainly didn't know these things. We were not taught these things. And so we pretty well did what we wanted to do. You know, we went to church when we wanted to go. Uh, we just didn't realize the importance of being obedient to God's Word. So, when I think about what the Word says, and I've made some statements on some tapes that people misunderstand, you know, about law and grace. A lot of people recently have been uh, calling me several and telling me, you know we're not under law. The law was thrown away. No, it wasn't either. It's still there. The law is still there, you know. It was absolutely fulfilled in Christ. But he says himself, I didn't come to cancel the law, but to fulfill the law. The law's still there. Now then, if you know the truth, as you'll see tonight, you're not under law, but you're under grace. But you're only under grace when you're obeying the rules that God laid down, the spiritual laws that He laid down for you. And there's only one commandment He gave you. You know what that is? What is the commandment? I command you to what? Love one another. Now then, if you can walk in love all the time, 100% of the time, you're under grace. And if you'll do that, and then you'll get in the Word and study the Word, yes, the law will have no impact on you whatsoever. When you walk in total love to everybody all the time, how many of the commandments of the law are fulfilled in love? All of them. That's exactly right. So, when you walk in love, you walk under God's grace, and if you can walk there 24-7, I can assure you, you will never have any sickness and disease. You know, it won't happen to you. You can walk in total health. But who do you know that can do that 24-7? I haven't met them yet. You know, everybody kind of gets out of the love walk once in a while. I got real tickled at Sharon today as 
in the love walk girl as she is. You know, she works out the ministry center. She's a lovely lady, learned how to walk into God's kind of love. And somebody wrote me a pretty nasty email today. <laughs> she read it. Well, she come into the kitchen, and I'm standing there you know, fixing me a little bite to eat. And she walked in, and she says, you know, I, I'm not sure whether I need to answer this or let you answer this. But she says, she told me what it was all about, and she said, the first thing is, I want to write them back and tell them something. And I said, well, Sharon, you know that's stepping out of love. She said, yes, I know that, so I ain't going to do that. <laughs> I ain't going to do that. And so when people write me emails, you know, you know, you take a lady like Sharon that in the last three years her life has been totally transformed. You know, I mean, when she come here, she was so weak and had already had surgery and couldn't hardly get around, and brain tumors, and arm won't work, and allergies, and back problems, and everything else. And then she comes and listens to these lies I'm teaching here. <laughs> One of the emails we got today said, you're lying to the people, you're seducing them with lies, you know. And so, when you listen to what I teach, and you get completely healed, you know, and after a month or two or whatever, after that, by that time, Sharon is completely healed, and now she's been able to walk in complete divine health. She knows beyond a shadow of doubt that what we're teaching is God's Word. And so, you know, it's hard to deceive somebody that's received a miracle like hers. Or many of the rest of you, you know, when you, not only just an area of healing, but how we've got families put back together, and I mean, the people that were ready for divorces, and all kinds of things. We've just seen God do some awesome things. He's changed many people's lives. In fact, when we was up there in uh, Canada, one of the ladies come running up to me, and her husband was back there. He was coming, but she ran to me, and she said, I want you to know that in the last few months, we have been getting a hold of your teachings. And she said, I'm going to tell you, my husband, is a, he is so much better than he ever was before. And she said, it's made a completely new woman out of me. She said, I've been a much better wife. She said, I just didn't realize what God required of me. But she said, well, I started listening to your teaching. I went back to the Word and checked out what you said. And she said, both of us, my husband and my wife, I mean, me and my husband both, we are so grateful for your teaching because it's totally, completely changed our life forever. Don't you love to be able to have an impact on people? You know, I mean, I love to see God move like that and have an impact. But, you know, there is devils out there that, like the one we got the mail from today. I mean, it's awful, you know. You are lying. You know, you're using multiple translations. It's obvious you don't know the one God because there's only one and He's in the King James Bible only. You know, isn't it amazing? Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it. That's the it. It's amazing, you know. It's amazing, you know, how uh, all these others are seducing spirits, and you need to repent because you're seducing the people and you're feeding them a bunch of lies. So I think, okay, God, I'll just have to, somehow I'll have to uh, write a nice uh, little letter to her or whatever. I don't know how I'll handle that. But uh, anyway, I, I want you to know that. Yes, we as Christians are not under the law. I did make a statement the other day on a tape, and I, I had a, I've had several people call me and reprimand me for this statement. So I'll tell you about it again. Now, under the Old Covenant, God 
wrote the Old Covenant to the Israeli people, the Jews. That's who it was written to, just the Jew. He did write it to the Jew. But as he told them, I want you to tithe. In other words, I demand a tithe, 10% of your income to be given to me. Now then, under the New Covenant, you know, God tells us there, and I made this statement on a tape, I said, you know, under the New Covenant, we're washed in the blood, and God washes away all of our sins. But I said, under the Old Covenant, if God demanded 10% under the blood of bulls and goats, what would you think He would love for you to do if He gives His Son for you for a price for your sins? What do you think He wants? Do you think He wants as little as 10%? I don't think so. I think He wants it all. I think He wants you and your money and everything you have. I think He wants you to dedicate yourself to Him 100%. But let's say, what if you say, okay, God, I'm under the new covenant now. I'm under grace. I don't have to tithe. So, if it was demanded under the old law, and it was, wasn't it? He demanded. In fact, you know what He told them? Because you have not tithed, you have robbed from Me. You have stole from Me. So, what does that make you? A thief. And I said, under the new covenant, so let's say we don't tithe. And I made the statement, so you're washed in the blood of Jesus. And let's say that you don't tithe. You don't ever give God any money. You say, well, I'm under grace. I don't have to do nothing. But what if one day when you got to heaven, he said, oh, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Thurman Scrivener. Oh, he said, you're the one that would never tithe. Don't you know that I said, no thief has eternal life? I mean, he said that, didn't he? No thief has eternal life. So, I'm going to cast you into hell. Somebody said, you know, I, I, that's, that's not right. Well, you know, I'm not saying here that if you don't tithe, you're going to go to hell, because I'm going to tell you, God's going to make that choice, not me. I can't say that if you don't tithe, God is going to send you to hell. But I can tell you, that he said that no thief has eternal life. <laughs> so, I do know that under the... I mean, I've had all kinds of people tell me that God does not demand under the New Covenant that we tithe at all. But, both in Matthew and in Luke, which is technically speaking in the New Testament, he told them clearly that if I demanded a tithe under the old one, then I demanded under this one. You know, he's talking in Matthew 23, 23 and Luke. I forget what the scripture is in Luke. The same uh, time he's teaching, except it's Luke's interpretation. He says, you know, you've tithed of this, this, and this, and this. And you should have done that, th- that tithing. But you should also have been merciful, you know, and walk in faith. Those are some of the things he's talking about. So, I want you to know that yeah, I teach a whole lot of law. I do teach a lot of law. Because... The reason I teach a lot of law is because I'm going to talk about this a little bit. What happens to you when you fall from grace? Now, I didn't understand that for a long time. But now I think I got it. You know, I really think I got it. And I think that most of us as Christians walk in a place in a state of falling from grace. I'm going to show you why as we get in here. Listen to this. I mean, Galatians chapter 5, verse 3. For I testify again, Galatians 5, 3. 
For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, what he's talking about here, if you're circumcised or if you do anything, if you do anything to fulfill your salvation. That's what he's trying to say. In other words, these people, they're going to say, well, we've got to go down and be circumcised or we can't be born again Christians. If you add anything besides Jesus, he said, you fall under the gra- under law. Now, this is scary. I know people that I know people that think they have to do certain things, you know, or they can't be saved. They'll tell you, if you're not baptized, the same day you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you ain't saved. If you don't speak in tongues, you ain't saved. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Sure. I've heard all those things. Now then, if I have to speak in tongues to be saved, or if I have to be baptized to be saved, then I'm falling right here under the same thing that Paul's talking about right here when he says, For I tell you, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. In other words, if I get circumcised so I can be a born-again Christian, because that's who he's talking to, then he said, I have just now been required to keep the whole law. Nobody was ever able to keep the whole law, were they? So, if I have to have one of the gifts known, like speaking in tongues, and it's unfortunate that some of the Pentecostal movements, they, some of them have said openly, you know, if you can't, you get baptized in the Spirit, you can't speak in tongues, you're not saved. You know, that, that's something you have to be able to do. Or, other churches say, if you're not baptized, you cannot be saved. But that's amazing, you know. But anyway, it says in verse 4 that Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. You're fallen from grace. So, can you fall from grace? Sure you can. How can you fall from grace? Just sin. All you've got to do is just sin. In fact, you don't have to do anything. You could even think the wrong thoughts and fall from grace. Didn't God say under the new covenant that if you get angry with your brother, you ain't done nothing to him yet. He just done something to you. You're sitting there fuming, looking at him right now. You're just, and you're killing him right there. You're guilty of murder right there, aren't you, Keith? How many people do you know have never done that? There may be a lot of them out there, but contractors ain't never done that, have they? No, no, we've had, I mean, there's been guys I wanted to strangle. I'm standing there looking at them, that they've made so many mistakes on the project. Of course, Keith, he knows what I'm talking about. You're sitting there looking at the guy, and you think, you know, I'd really like to just kill you. You don't say nothing, but you've told him 14 times how to do it right, and he still messed it up. And you think, you know, I'd really like to just kill you. Have you ever, ever been guilty of that, Keith? Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, see, I can understand his world because me and him have lived in the same world. You know, so it's, it's just absolutely something how that these kind of things happen. But then the other one where that almost everybody, now not, maybe not every woman, but every man has been guilty of this. Some real, especially when they're young, some real pretty girl walks in. Boy, she walks in, he's watching her all across the room. He's looking at her from top to bottom. What do you think is going through his mind right now? Bad thoughts, right? Sure. 
He's thinking things he shouldn't be thinking. But it happens to women too sometimes. I've had women tell me that they've had lustful thoughts about certain men. And when you do that, you have just fell from grace. You have meditated on sin. And when you sin, you fell from grace. And when you fell from grace, where did you fall? Back under the law. Now that when you're back under the law, you're now, in fact, I'm trying to think where that scripture was. I think, let me go over here to James. I think it's in James uh, chapter 3, I think. That just hit me right then. Let me go to James chapter 3, and let me look at that and see. Uh Where is it? Maybe it's in James chapter 2. I'm looking for the time where the man comes in and he tells the man to sit uh, under his feet. Uh, Is it in 2? What, honey? 2-3. Okay, verse 2-3. Okay, and you you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and saith unto him, Sir, uh, here's a good place, so on and so forth. Uh, Let's see what the scripture I want. Uh, the one I want is if you... It, okay, here at verse 9 is the one I was looking for. If you have respect to persons, you commit sin. And are convinced or convicted of the law as a transgressor. Is that what it say? Now, how many people do you know that have... Not done that. Have you ever been guilty of showing favoritism to somebody? If you do that, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. How easy is to fall from grace? Real easy. And you are convicted or convinced of the law as a transgressor For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Then look what he said in verse 11. For he that says, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you will become a transgressor of the law. Transgressor of the law. So speak ye and so do as they that judge, or they shall be judged by the law of liberty. So, just think how easy it is to fall from grace. I don't know about you, but I fell from grace lots of times in my life. And you, you'll have to agree with probably you have too, right? Every time we fall from grace, we fall back to the only other place we can fall, under the law. We become a transgressor of the law. We lose our liberty. We lose our freedom as a Christian. And when we sin, we fall right back under the law. And the demons of hell are the hounds, the executioners, that come to fulfill the the sins of the people when they're under the law. So why do you think people are sick as Christians? Because we fall from grace. We fall back under the law. We commit sin. You know, I mean, how easy is it for a Christian to do this? 
So easy. Now then, if we go, if we're going to do everything the Lord tells us under the new covenant, He commands us one thing to do. I command you to love one another all the time. Now then, if we can walk there, if we can keep that commandment, you know, He says, sin brings forth death, doesn't He? Now then, as we sin, every time we make a little mistake, we sin. Technically speaking, what it's doing is eroding away our life. That's why we come down with so many different sickness and diseases as Christians. Now, if we don't sin, we do exactly what He says. He says that no sickness will come upon us. So, if we're sick, that's just like that Baptist preacher I was sitting on the airplane with the other day. I was going over to the East Coast. And I was sitting beside this guy and talking to him. And he asked me what I did. And I said, well, I'm a preacher. He said, oh, he said, I'm a Baptist preacher myself. And uh, I said, well, great. And so he's 20, I said, how old are you? He said, 26. I said, okay. So we get talking. He said, uh, is there any particular subject that you preach on? And I said, yeah, I'm a healing pastor. And he said, what denomination are you associated with? <laughs> I said, well, I used to be a Baptist, but I'm no longer a Baptist. I said, the Baptist couldn't stomach what I had to teach from God's Word. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I believe with all my heart the Word of God, completely, complete revelation is that we are supposed to be, as God's children, well. There's not supposed to be any sickness and disease in us if we'll be obedient to walk in obedience to His Word. But I said, you know, if we sin then it will bring some kind of sickness and disease upon us. And without sin, there is no sickness and disease. He said, now, wait a minute. He said, I've got a kind of a, a bad throat and a, a stopped-up head in myself. I've kind of got a cold or a flu myself. You tell me that I'm sinning? I said, absolutely. <laughs> he said, I don't agree with that at all. I said, well, you know, that's okay. You have that option to disagree with me if you want to. But I said, you notice you're sick and I'm not. <laughs> But I said, you know, uh, it's just something, you know, that God put in here. And I've been fortunate of studying the year. I said, I've had attacks. I mean, you know, everybody's going to have little attacks. Everybody's going to sin. And the enemy's going to come upon you. And, and he's done that. He's done that to me. He's done that to Cheryl. He's done that to everybody at the ministry center. You know, all of us at one time or another, we have to pray over each other on a regular basis out there. I mean, the children will come down with a fever, you know, or something. You know, it's a constant battle. You all know where I'm coming from? It's not just a, something that you can just do, you know. I mean, just here a while back, I taught a healing school, and, of course, I had the horse's throat I'd had in a long time. But I, I taught all day long, fought the battle, no big deal. But somebody said, did you sin? I probably would have said, you know, it's kind of like driving on the highway. You know, that used to, I would drive on the highway and I would break the law almost every time I got on the highway. I know none of y'all ever do this now, but that's where I used to. I don't do it no more. But, I mean, once in a while still. I mean, the other night I went to leave. I was somewhere in that suburban. We got, you know, it's got that V8 engine in it. And I'm ripping down the road, leaving church. And I look down and I'm doing 70 out there on the highway. You know, what is this? You were getting my foot off that foot feet. Y'all know how easy it is to break the law? 
Now, then thank goodness there wasn't a police officer around because wouldn't it have been wonderful, you know, for me leaving church, two or three of y'all behind me, and all of a sudden all the red lights come on, you drive up there, and it's me sitting there, and I'm caught, caught speeding. Well, thank goodness I didn't get caught. But how many times have I done that in my life? Get five, six, seven miles an hour over the speed limit, look down, oh, my goodness, let me slow down. And I think, Lord, oh, please, Lord, let, don't let no police officer have seen me. Y'all know where I'm coming from? So if I do get stopped, which I, I haven't in a long time, thank goodness, and, and been given a ticket, but if I did, do I have any room to grumble and complain? No, because how many times have I broken the law and I didn't get caught? Well, see, that's God's mercy. This is where His mercy comes in. You know, we get upset or we, we get uh, uh, we show favoritism towards someone or we get mad at somebody. Don't open our mouth. That's something Dave has really said this God has revealed to him. He's found out that even though he can keep his mouth totally closed and not say nothing, somebody does something and inside he's mad about something, but he don't say nothing, the sickness still comes upon him. Because guess who knows in the spirit world what's going on in there? See, you might be the loveliest guy on the block. You might have the prettiest smile and everything else. But inside, you're like little Johnny. When Mama said, Johnny, you've broken my rules. Sit down. And so Johnny goes over and sits down. And a little while, one of his friends comes up and says, what are you here for? He said, well, I got caught doing something. Mama told me to sit down. But he said, let me tell you, I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from? See? I mean, that's the way we are, isn't it? Well, now then that I've listened to Ty teach me these things about when we do these things, when we get angry or when we go into all these different sins, he has shared with me many different things as a doctor, what happens in my body and how it produces. And I didn't know these things until he shared them with me, that when I do these kind of things, that's the way the enemy can get me in a state of anger or rage and how it causes different things, which I don't even understand. I can't even repeat them. He can about how they make different things happen and cause my body to do things that kills me. You know, I don't understand that. But he does, and he shared them with me. And although I can't tell them back to you, I realize he knows what he's talking about, so I'm doing my best to not go there no more. Because how many times do you get away with it whenever you get angry and screaming and raging at somebody? How many times do you get away with it? Never. Never. In the spirit world, you never get away with it. Because your body is right there with you. It responds to these things every time. Now, the medical doctors know these things, but I don't know these things. But I'm smart enough to listen to them, and when they tell me, I think, okay, if it's going to cause a problem with me, and I forget what, I think he said every time you get angry, it goes to your liver and does something. I, don't, I can't even remember all the things he talks about. So if I want a liver to fail, all I need to do is get angry at everybody. First thing, I can die of a liver failure. It was my choice. But I don't want to die of a liver failure, do you? So what do I have to do? Not get angry. See? Because that's things happen in the spirit world. Now, he knows these things far better than I do. I don't understand them. But I do know what the Word says about these things. And I know that the Word says in verse 9 of James 2, If you have respect to persons, you commit sin. And what did he say in the Word? Sin brings forth death. And one of the things, one of the things Cheryl and I are learning together about when the Lord says, in fact, this is a spiritual law, 
let's flip back here just a, a couple of pages to Philippians, and let's see one of these things the Lord says here in Philippians. Now, this is something that we know that this is real, real, real easy for us to do as Christians. We read this, but we don't believe he means what he says. But in Philippians 2.14, he says here, Some of the things you do, do them without murmuring and complaining. Now, obviously, that must be the way we read it. Is that true? It has to be the way we read it, because if we read it like it's written, when he said in the spirit world, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, if the Lord told you to do that and you don't do it, what is that? Sin. Sin. That's exactly right. That's sin. So now then, let's just ask the question. I don't want you to hold up your hand. How many of you sinned today? <laughs> Cheryl and I are doing our best. I mean, on the way back, when we went to the last place we went to and had so much snow and ice, she grumbled and complained about the ice and snow, and she come back sick. Well, let me tell you, this time we went to where the ice and snow wasn't even had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You think Cheryl grumbled this trip? Absolutely. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for, for the privilege to get up early in the morning. <laughs> she beat me up. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. That's what Ty says. When he gets up and Cheryl's already up at 3 o'clock in the morning, she didn't have to get up till about quarter to four, you know. And she's already up. He said, wow. She said, you notice I am not grumbling and complaining about this either. I mean, it's amazing when we begin to understand what makes us sick. We stop doing it. You know that? But if we don't know it, you know, I mean, he's no respecter of persons, you would have think. I mean, I know Cheryl knows he's her, she's her, she is God's favorite daughter. She knows that. But it still made her sick when she grumbled and complained. <laughs> So she's just like us. Cheryl and I are trying our best to learn to totally, totally walk in this God kind of love 24-7. You know? I mean, it pays good dividends when we walk in the God kind of love 24-7. I mean, after I preached that message a few Sundays ago about love, and then I know Dave, you know, I mean, the next Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was, after Sunday, I went out to his little private office out there where he's locked up studying. And... Uh, I said, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, well, that message on love is kind of bothering me, and I'm, going to re- I'm researching all these words. So, <laughs> so for the next couple of weeks, of course, he's doing that. And he said, while you're gone, I'm going to preach on that. I said, okay. He said, there's only one thing about it. I said, what's that? He said, you know, you preach it pretty hard. But he said, I've learned it's even harder than you preached it. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know where the King James says, Love is not easily provoked. I said, yeah. He said, so when you said that, I thought, okay. I'll just use Keith here. Keith makes me mad one time. I said, okay, I forgive you. And he makes me mad ten times. I said, okay. God says love's not easily provoked. That's it, Keith. The tenth time, I'm going to get you. You know. He said, so God says it's not easily provoked. So, okay, I'll give it plenty of time. Ten, I'm going to get you now. But he said, the word easily is not in there. He says, love is never provoked. He says, I'm going to have to take that page and tear it out and throw it away. But see, we can't. 
I mean, it may, if you offend me 490 times in one day, I've got to forgive you, right? That's the real God kind of life. How hard is it to do that? It's tough. That's right. So, anytime we don't do what God says, we fall from grace. We sin, we fall from grace. We fall from grace, we fall back under the law. And now we're sinners and we're not doing what He says. And so, technically speaking, this is where the demons of hell have legal right to attack us. And that's why we have so much sickness and disease in the church. Because we fall from grace far too often. And most of the time when we fall from we don't even know we've done it. Because we don't know the law. We don't know the law. Now, if we know these spiritual laws, and he says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, if we really believe that, it'd change what come out of our mouth, wouldn't it? it? It will. You know, I mean, just think, the Spirit, when you hear this, and God says in His Word, you are to love. Well, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, which is what they preached on, I haven't heard that yet, but I'm going to. Uh, I mean, when I came in, this gentleman here, he said, man, you weren't here Sunday. You, I think it was you, didn't you say? He said, you missed a great message Sunday. He was here. Amen. Well, I've day preached on love. I know it's a great message. You know, I just, all his messages have been good. And that's, uh, I try to listen to every one of them, but I just hadn't had time yet. But I will this week. Listen to it. But if we, we so quickly forget, we get, we get this, message of grace preached to us and we get no law preached to us so we just get grace preached to us we forget we think that we're under grace all the time there ain't nothing can take us out of grace I can do anything I want to and God loves me and I'm still under His grace but that's not what this book teaches this book teaches when you sin you fall from grace and when you fall from grace you fall back under the law and now then, if you just have respect to persons, you're guilty of murder. You're guilty of adultery. Somebody said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I mean, somebody walked in and I didn't necessarily like them. And I think about this Baptist, two Baptist preachers, I don't know if they were PhDs and they heard about the Toronto deal or whatever it was, whatever it was up in Canada, that the Holy Spirit was moving in for so long. And a couple of them decided they'd go up there. We're going to go up there and check this out. So they went up there and they checked this out. And this one guy, he's a real reserved, you know, Ph.D. from the seminary. He said, I'm going to be in the back. So he said, I get back there in the back. And I'm sitting there and he said, I look up on the front. And there's a little hippie kid up there on the front. And said, he's down on his knees and he's crying, got his hands up and everything else. And I said, oh, God, what a scene. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, if you would humble yourself like he is, I might do something for you. Wow. That made a change in that Ph.D., let me tell you for sure. You know, the king needs to speak to more of us, you know it? He needs to speak to us. He can get our attention, can't he? Yeah, I guarantee. You know, I mean, I think of Jerry King when I think about this. And, of course, I know Jerry real well. We had him on our television show several times. And he used to be the best Pentecostal preacher in Fort Worth. And if you didn't believe that, all you had to do is ask who's the best Pentecostal preacher in Fort Worth. He said, I am. I'm the best one. I mean, I've heard you say that several times. And he had a great big church over there. But they had lots of problems in their church. And then whenever James Robinson got his revelation from God that a preacher can have demons, and he got all the demons cast out of him, it totally changed James' life. 
James said I was the kind of guy I could sit up here married to a beautiful woman and everything else, and I could look at it, and I would just, when I'd see a beautiful woman, I'd, I'm preaching, but I'm lusting for that woman. From the pulpit. He said, I couldn't control myself. He said, I didn't have a clue as a Baptist preacher I had demons. But when Milton Green cast the demons all out of him and got him set free, and of course, he didn't like what Milton had to say to him when he says, you think I have demons, Milton? And Milton looked at him and said, James, I've cast demons out of prisoners, out of people who had murdering spirits in them, everything else, and I ain't never seen anybody had as many demons in them as you have. Now, that wasn't exactly what James Robertson wanted to hear. But he got delivered that day, and Milton Green cast all his demons out of him and totally changed James Robertson's life. Of course, he's told this story several times, so it's not something that he doesn't want people to know, because he's told it publicly. I've heard it. Some of you may have heard him tell it. But after that, he was... James got all the pastors in the area together. He used to condemn certain pastors. He'd tell them, you know, on television, you know, that Pentecostal preachers ain't no good or whatever off of what he'd say about preachers. So he got all of them together, and he was going to apologize to them and said that he'd learned now that he's got to walk in a God kind of love. And, of course, Jerry went that night, and he said, I'm sitting back there at the back, and I'm hearing him talk about this. And he said, uh, when James said, it's demons, they're our problem. And I had a bunch of them. I got delivered, and I'm a different man. And Jerry said, I was standing there over a chair, holding the back of the chair, and I said, okay, God, that's probably what's wrong with my church. But some of the people in my church, you know, and said that's probably the problem. They prob- We've probably got some demons in my church, too. Yeah. And the Lord spoke to Jerry King right there that night and said, Jerry, the problem in your church is you. And that's when Jerry said, I fell over that chair. I began to repent and tell God, Lord, I'm sorry. And, of course, God delivered him of his demons, and now Jerry King is a great man of God. I really love the guy. But, see, when God speaks to some of his men, I've come to realize God's big enough to take care of his church. You don't have to do it for him. He can do it. You know, so the thing about it is, if you don't like what I teach, you know, you can tell me, you know, but don't write me some nasty emails because if you do, you know, you're, you're, you're lying the devil to get in there. And the thing about it is, if what I'm teaching is not right, the one I'm responsible to, he's big enough to take care of me. He will take care of me. You know, you, you believe that, don't you? Because every time I pray for somebody or Ty prays for somebody and they get healed, who does it? Me and Ty? No, the king does. So when we see God do all the wonderful things we do, I'm sure, for Ty and I both, I'm sure that this is what God would say. If he were to look at us, he would probably say, okay, I like this that you do. Just like he did in the churches of the book of Revelation. Now, I like this about you, but I have this against you. You know, you're not exactly where I want here. I'm sure that Ty and I just hope that good things he likes is better and more than the bad ones, right, Ty? <laughs> yeah, I, that's what we're hoping. But, you know, I mean, what did he say? I mean, did he have good things to say about some of those churches? Yes, he did. Some of, but did he have all good things to say about any church? No, he did not. I have this against you. I'm sure he would say the same thing to every one of us, don't you? I'm sure there's things that he likes that we do, and some things he is heartbroken about what we do. And that's where his mercy comes in. And we're grateful for that mercy. 
Now, that mercy can come to an end. We know that God can do that. We know that if we fall from grace enough times, we repent and come back. He is so merciful, and He will raise us back up. But the thing about it is, if we grumble and complain every time we do something, and some people do that. Some people in the church grumble and complain about everything they do. I mean, they get up on Monday morning fussing about having to go to work today. You know, when they say, and if God was to say, okay, I'll just take that job away from you. So when you get there this morning, you're going to be 15 minutes late, and that guy's going to say, I've had it with you, that's it, you don't have a job. And you say, oh God, I don't have a job now. What am I supposed to do? Well, can you not be pleased in anything? You were unhappy when you had the job, now you're unhappy because you don't have the job. You know, so what's it going to take to please you? Well, see, we get into that rut of grumbling and complaining. Instead of waking up in the morning and say, Lord, I thank you. I praise you for this beautiful day. And somebody walks up here, you praising. I said, look, at it. it's snowing right now. Isn't that stuff beautiful? Every one of them snow places different. He made every one of them just for me. So, see, if you praise him and thank him with this rain, shining, snowing, whatever it is, he loves it when you praise him and worship him. He hates it when you grumble. And he's told us in the New Covenant not to fall from grace, not to grumble. Now then, let's go back over here where we're talking about this law and things. And let's go back to Romans 6, verse 14. Romans six fourteen, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And... This is the way you find out which one of these you're living in. He says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? What is his answer? Huh? Huh? How much sin is supposed to be in the life of a Christian? Is that a hard one? I mean, just a little. I mean, just once a day. How much? That's kind of hard to meet, isn't it? You're not that respect of persons? Not at all? Never? I remember one time reading a story about one of the greatest men of God that walked in a great anointing, and he went to Africa. When he went to Africa, he was a man. The reason God loved him, used him because he walked into God's kind of life. Now, when you go to Africa, a large portion of the people in Africa are black. More so than they are in America, at least at this time for sure. You know, we've got lots of ever color in America today. But at that time, 70, 80, 90 years ago, there wasn't near as many black people as there was white people here. But in Africa, it was the other way around. There was a lot more black people than white people. Well, here we got the church down there, and this preacher goes down there, and he meets a lot of these black pastors. And he's up on the platform with them. And he's talking about walking into God kind of love, talking about getting people healed and everything else. And one of the white pastors out there says, you know, if you stand up on that platform with that black man, he said, you're not much of a preacher. So the, the man of God walks over and puts his arm around one of his black brothers and pulls him up close. And he said, but God commands me to love one another. He said, I love him. And this white pastor after made some kind of derogatory statement. 
And so this white man reached over and kissed the black man on the cheek. He said, he's my brother in Christ. And when he did that, that white man said something so derogatory and he turned to walk off. And this man turned to him and said, you know, you're a murderer. And no murder has eternal life. You're headed for hell. Is that something? Did he speak the truth? Now, if this man which said he was a Christian pastor out there, if he was walking into God's kind of love, he missed everything on the commandment to walk into God's kind of love, didn't he? Did the Scripture say that if he showed respect to a person, he was a transgressor of the law and he was guilty of murder? We just read that, didn't we? But you're not under law, you're under grace. So you can do anything in the world you want to do and you're still going to get to go to heaven. I've got a feeling that's not right. I got a feeling that's not right. Because the king did say that no murder has eternal life. Didn't he say that? And he just said under this new covenant that if you show respect of persons for any reason, he wasn't using colors here. He was just showing one man's rich, one man's poor. They might have both been brown guys because they were Israeli people. And the Israeli people were dark skinned people. But they both looked disalike. He just said, because you show respect to persons, you have sinned, you've transgressed the law, and you fell from grace. And he goes so far as to say, you're guilty of murder and adultery because you fell from grace and showed respect to persons. And he did go so far as to say, no murder has eternal life. He also said, no adulterer has eternal life, didn't he? Isn't that awesome? So here we got people in the church today that have been taught, once saved, always saved. You can go do anything you want to do. You're under grace. So you go to church, you get saved, and you go to church every Sunday, but yet you're living with some man or some woman out of wedlock. And then you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? The Word says you're not. Somebody said, but Thurman, you're preaching too much law. I'm trying to teach it exactly like it's written. Yeah, if I'm not under law and I'm under grace, what do I have to do to walk under grace? Got to walk in love. When I walk in love, I don't do nothing to hurt anybody else, do I? I don't show any favoritism. I don't sleep with some woman that's not my wife. I don't get mad at you, even though you may work since me and you both in the contract of this. Although I did something to you 50 times, you can't get mad at me no more, can you? That's kind of hard to do in the business world, isn't it? But see, I mean, that little example I'm kidding me and Keith about, I don't know what y'all walk in, where you walk, but you know, you've got the same problem. It's not me and him have been in the contract and been in it. He's still in it today, and he has to deal with people every day, just like this. But the world you live in, there's people that try to offend you every day, that try to say something. And if you're not careful, you fall from grace. You get mad at them. <laughs> it's too easy, isn't it, brother? Being a Christian is not easy to walk in grace. It's not easy. But it is an obtainable goal. Now then, if we will do what he says here, he says there that, what then shall we sin? He says, God forbid, know you not, in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, 
whether of sin, which leads unto death, or of obedience, which leads unto righteousness and eternal life. So who's going to make that choice every day in our life as Christians? We are. We're going to make that choice. Am I going to walk in love today, or am I going to get mad at everybody that comes along? Who's going to make that choice? I am. You are. Now then, he tells you which one to make. The right one. Walk into God's kind of life. Now then, let's go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to show you some things here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's so many good things in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I wanted to go there too, but I ain't going to be able to. I've looked up there and it's 825 right now, so we've got just a little over a half hour left. So we're just going to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now then, I guess, I guess maybe I might have to back up to verse 25 in 1 Corinthians 9. I just can't miss all of that. There's some good stuff there. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, it says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. How many? In everything. For every man that strives for the mastery. You want to be like your master? I do. I do. I want to be like the master. Now, Every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. We do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. How many? I don't know how to explain that to you. Somebody explain to me what you think the word temperate means. What? Not in control? In control. In control. Okay. In control. I said, now, right there when you asked me that question, I lost my train of thought what I was fixing to go to. Okay, I know what, I know, I'm back to it. Uh, Thank you, Lord. Let's, how many of you know people that want to become football stars? You know a guy that had wanted to be a football star? Somewhere back down when he was five or six or seven years old, he wanted to be a football player. Okay. So the guy desires to be a football player, and he thinks, okay, I can wait till I get to be 20 years old, then I can be a pro ball player, and from the time I'm five, I want to be a pro ball player, but I won't even come out for football or nothing. When I get to be 20, I'll just go down and tell them I want to be one of the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, y'all all laughed. You don't think that's going to work, huh? If he's going to actually obtain the goal of being a Dallas Cowboy, when he gets the idea at five, what's he going to have to do from the time he's five till he's 20? Is he going to have to work? I mean, diligently going to have to run, play, lift weights? I mean... He's going to have to play football night and day to get there, isn't he? And many of those young men that do that, they still never make it. They never make it. I mean, they have to be in control in everything. In everything. I mean, they have to be 
so dedicated to that, to obtain the mastery in that so that... How many young men do you... What do you think the percentage is of... Just like I told my son when he was a little guy, when he was about five, he loved football. And he said, Dad, I want to be a Dallas Cowboy when I grow up. I want to be a pro football player. I said, yeah, you and a million other kids have the same desire. Well, Tim worked out. I mean, he lifted weights. I mean, he did everything. He run. He used to come in. Of course, I might want to get him to go out and help me haul in some hay. But no, he, he couldn't do that. But he would go out and take a truck tire and a great big old leather belt and put it around his belly and a truck tire and fill it up with rocks and drag that tire up and down the road, soaking wet with sweat, building strength in his legs. But he couldn't go out and help me load a few bales of hay. It's too much work, Dad. But see, building his body to become what he wanted to be in a football game, it wasn't work. You know? And of course, the, the, he, was, he was not very fast compared to some boys, but he was strong. He did build up to be strong. In fact, the senior year in high school, he was, he was an MVP on the football team. And when the coach invited him up to give him the little reward, award that he was the MVP his senior year in high school, he said, if I needed two or three yards for a first down or for a goal or whatever, he said, I always give the ball to Tim. He said he had so developed his legs, there was no three men could stop him short of two to three or four yards. It didn't matter what they throwed out there. He could push his way through that line for two or three or four yards. He said, a many a time, he saved my skin by getting me a first down when I had to have it. And he said, so I always give him the ball when the chips were down and I had to have it. But why was Tim so strong? Because he worked diligently at that. I mean diligently at that. Man. But see, even with all that, he'd never even come close to getting to be a football a Dallas Cowboy. He wasn't even close. And I'm grateful because I didn't want him to be one of them. Because I know what happens to those guys. They get beat up and tore up and broke up and everything else at the time they're 30 years old. You know, so I didn't want him to be one. But he worked diligently. Now then, why did he want to be one of those? He wanted to be those so he could be acknowledged as somebody. You know, everybody knows these guys. You know, you're known. Hey, people do that, he says right there, to obtain a crown. That's temporary. But we should be that dedicated in the kingdom of God to be about the Lord's work so we can obtain a crown one day when we get home that the king will put his arm around us and say, come in, let me show you the rewards I have for you. And how long are those going to last? Forever. Forever. Just like the king says, to those that win souls is wise. And you shall shine as the stars in the firmament forever. Wow. That's an awesome reward, isn't it? Just so every time you lead somebody to Jesus, there is angels rejoicing in heaven over that one soul you brought into the kingdom. And how many of us are like I was most of my life? I get so busy working, I forget to even talk to people about Jesus. I did that far too many years of my life when I was younger. Too many. It says, I therefore so run, not as 
uncertainty, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or rejected by the Lord. I wonder how many people that have preached the Word of God and then in later years done something really stupid like throwed away their wife and children and married some younger woman. You ever known a preacher do something like that? Unfortunately, when one of them do it, we all hear about it, don't we? The news media makes sure that when a preacher falls, everybody knows about a preacher. Now, you could take the news media, a lot of times, maybe the guys that even do that and run you down. He might have been married five times. Nobody ever said nothing about him. But you let a preacher make a mistake, and they make sure the world knows about it, don't they? Them lousy preachers, they ain't no good. And the closer you walk with God, when you make a mistake, the more they crucify you. And the bigger national news you make. You know, isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame? But that's why Paul said, I keep under my body. I beat this thing if I have to. Whatever it takes. I am not going to let my body sin. When my body wants to sin, I'm going to say, no, body, you can't do it. When my body wants to get mad, I want to write that. We're going to letter that wrote that thing back. We're going to say, no, no. I see Sharon back there laughing. <laughs> You know, when, it, when, when just like Dave, I mean, you know, with Dave or Sharon or any of the people at the ministry center, uh, Philip, all of all of us that have received great and awesome rewards whenever we've been prayed for, and God has done these wonderful things for us. I mean, it'd be hard to tell Sharon or Dave or Philip that God don't do miracles anymore. You know it? I mean, they've received some big ones in their life. You know, so. I mean, when people call her like Kathy, you know, her life so totally changed. When since she's come to Christ, this little girl's on fire, bubbling over. When people call in, and she just lovingly tells them, Yes, I work here. I know these miracles are real. I see them every day. You know, isn't it nice? She just tells me often, I love working here. She said, There ain't nothing I've ever done like this. Well, ain't nothing I've ever done like this either. I love working here too. I love serving the Lord Jesus, don't you? But all of us have to meet this criteria. I keep my body and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. How easy is it to fall into the things of the world? Man, it's too easy. And when one of us, especially a preacher, if we fall into the things of the world, man, they crucify us. They crucify us. And then after all that, in verse chapter 10, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Well, when he makes a statement like that, you need to get ready because he's got something to tell you. I should not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and they did all eat the same spiritual meat 
and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for the drink of that spiritual rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. So the same Jesus that went with them is in you today. There's no difference. He's with us today. Same Jesus. So, if it's the same Jesus that was with them as with us, then has He changed any? No, He's still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. What He liked then, He still likes today. What He didn't like then, He still likes today. What if He didn't like it then, He don't like it today. Verse 5, But with many of them, God was not well pleased. I don't want him to say that about me, do you? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, why were they overthrown in the wilderness? Because he wasn't happy with them. Do you think he would do something like that today? Oh, yeah. He hasn't checked. Why did Paul say these things were written? For us. So we know what God's like. But with many of them, God was not pleased. You think there's probably a whole bunch of the church he ain't too pleased with today? I think there's a lot of years of my life. If he hadn't been merciful, man, I'd have been wiped out. You know what I mean, don't you? Aren't we glad his mercy's new every morning? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because many of us would not have been there. And of course, some are not. Because he has already taken us out. Now these things were <clears throat> now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He's trying to tell us something here. Neither be ye idolaters. In fact, I made a statement when I was up there in Canada the other day. I said, you know, one of the things I've learned that makes people sick is breaking the commandments. And one of those commandments is you shall have no idols of me. No kind. No cut. No, no, no. I said, how many people do you know that have a picture of Jesus on the wall in their house? I said, there ain't no pictures of Jesus. That's an artist's conception of Jesus. I said, you ain't going to find the one in my house. I ain't putting one in my house. Especially after I heard the woman that gave the testimony that one time. She said, I was down at one of the stores and I saw the most beautiful picture of Jesus. It was a magnificent picture. She said, I bought that picture and put it in the foyer of my home. So every time I come in the front door, I could look at that picture. She said, the longer I looked at that picture, said one day, the better I liked it. She said, one day I was looking at that picture. I'm standing there in the foyer of my home and I'm standing there looking at that picture and I'm just weeping over that picture. She said, all of a sudden I heard a voice. If you keep looking at that picture, you're not going to know who I am when I come. She said, I took the picture down and throwed it away. When he says, make no images of me. You think he still means that? I think he hasn't changed his mind at all. I ain't going to have no pictures in my house because where are you going to get a picture of Jesus? There ain't none. He made sure there was none. There was no images of Him. The apostles, nobody made any images of Jesus. 
mean, there's pharaohs that lived 5,000 years ago. When I was in Egypt, I saw stone images 50 feet tall of a man cut exactly to the degree of what that man looked like. If Jesus had wanted a statue made of him, he could have had one made. But he didn't want one. You know what we would have done if we'd have had one? We'd have worshipped the stupid thing. We'd have bowed down and worshipped that stone instead of the living God, wouldn't we? So that's why he said, I don't want none. But just like the woman that stood looking at that picture, started crying over that picture when Jesus spoke to her and said, you keep looking at that picture, you won't know who I am when I come. Hey, I don't want, I don't want one. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. How many people do you know do that today? Especially in the world. But some of them do it in the church. Neither let us commit fornication, sex out of wedlock, or adultery. As some of them committed and fell in one day, 23,000. You think God's pleased with sex out of wedlock? You think He is? No. Then why in the world do so many people in the church do it? A young man came up the other day and said, I need for you to pray for me. He was about 35, I guess. Just guessing. I said, what do you need for me to pray for you for? He said, I've caught a venereal disease. I said, are you married? No, I'm a single guy. I said, you know God said no sex out of wedlock. He said, yeah, I know that. I know that. I said, so now you've got a venereal disease. I said, if I pray for you and he heals you, are you ever going to do it again? He said, no, sir, never. Never. So I tell him, all I can say is repent. Ask God to forgive you. And I'll pray the prayer of faith for you. And it's between you and God after this. I can pray the prayer of faith for you. Now that I've told him, and he knows it's wrong, and he repented, and say God's merciful and he healed him. What if he goes and does it again a year from now? You know, after he does it again, now that he's known, he says there's no sacrifice for the sin left but only the fiery judgment of God to come upon you? Well, what if he had known it the first time? It was, And he did. And what if I had prayed for him and God made the decision? No, he already knew that. I'd already told him over and over, it's wrong. And he'd done it 15 times. You think God knows exactly how many times he did it? He knew every time you thought about it and every time you did it. And if he hadn't been merciful, the guy had already been dead. But God's been merciful, and now all of a sudden, say, He's been warned over and over by people. You know, you ought to stop living this lifestyle. Who do you think that was? Come and tell me. That was God sending somebody by to tell you. You need to stop this nonsense. You need to stop going down to them bars, running around with them wild girls down there. I mean, you know, the book of Proverbs says, you know, you, her, her last guest is already in hell. You know, you got to stop. Them. Well, you know, but I'm a Christian. I'm under grace. God will forgive me. I've heard that, haven't you? Yeah, it's a good thing he is so merciful and forgiving, but there comes a day when he says, that's it. That's it. Right here. When these people committed fornication, how many of them fell dead in one day? 23,000? 
in one day for fornication? You think there ought to be a message in that? What did Paul start out this chapter with? Brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant about these things. I want you to know that these things that happen to them are examples to you and me. So we don't do these stupid things. Now that if we're totally under grace and God's going to forgive us for everything we do, there's going to be no sickness, no disease, and it don't matter what you do, if there's no such thing as law left for you to fall under, you ain't never going to have to worry about sickness and disease. You can just go do anything you want to do. If you're going to preach grace, that's, that's pure grace. But that doesn't line up with the Scripture. Does it? No. Now, if we're in grace, can we all walk in grace 100% of the time? We can. If you can walk in love all the time. When you walk in love all the time, if you walk in love all the time, how many times are you going to do anything wrong to somebody else? How many times am I going to do something bad to Keith if I'm walking in the God kind of love? Never. That's right. Keith, never. I ain't never going to do nothing wrong with you to you. I ain't going to say nothing nasty to you. I ain't going to do nothing that builds you up or edify you in everything I say if I'm walking in the total God kind of love, right? Yes. I don't care what you might say to me. You might say something really derogatory to me. You might be a lost man out there and you come up and slap me in the face. I say, come on, Keith, let's go get a cup of coffee and let's talk about it, brother. I'm going to say, I love you just because Jesus lives in me. Now, that's true love, isn't it? Yes. That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? But we need to live there. And if you want to walk in grace all the time, you've got to walk in the God kind of love. Walk in it. He goes on to say there, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them did. They also tempted Him, and they were destroyed of serpents. Today, in the, in the actual physical thing that happened under the Old Covenant, those were actual live snakes that crawled on the ground. What are those serpents today? Those are demons. Those serpents are demons. And if you sin, if you commit these things, He will turn them critters loose on you. you know? Would you like for a demon to be turned loose on you by God? I definitely don't want one. But will he turn one loose on anybody that doesn't obey him? Who's going to make the decision at what time he's going to do that? He does. Now, he may be very merciful, and he may give you chance after chance after chance. And he does, doesn't he, Ty? Ty knows, just like the rest of us, you know, We've all committed gross sins in our life. And some of us were very fortunate that God gave us one after another after another. He should have killed all of us a long time ago. If He wasn't merciful and graceful, you know, we'd all been killed a long time ago. But I think about how His mercy endures forever. But one day, if you keep sinning, He's, he's still got that mercy. One day he's going to say, okay, just like he did here. These people kept putting him to the test. Here he is, Moses up on top of the mountain up there. He's been up there for 40 days getting the Ten Commandments. And the people down there, they're making a molten image. They're melting the gold. And Aaron, you know, this is just something that when he, Moses came down, Aaron, 
Where did this golden calf come from? Well, you know, the people, you know, they wanted to just pour the gold out. And so we just kind of melted it and it just kind of came out like this. Yeah, sure it did. Yeah, they formed it and ground it and caught it, cut it and polished it and everything else, didn't it, to make it look like a calf. They didn't just pour that gold out there and throw it up there and it come out like a calf. Ain't nobody that dumb. And then all, when Moses was down, coming down from the hill, God says, Moses, I hear a great noise. Sounds like a party down there in the camp. I think you ought to go down there and see what's going on. Is God merciful? The party's been going on all that they're making all these golden images. They're all down there. Think, they're having a wild, drunken orgy down there. I mean, that's what the Scripture says this was all about. There was thousands of people. You know, when I told you all that story a while ago about that guy sitting in that bar having sex with that girl in a chair at the table? In a restaurant? That's nothing. These people are doing it by the thousands. They're all over the place. Thousands of them. You think that we're pretty wicked when one man and one woman has sex in a restaurant with other people around? What do you think about this? They're all over the place. Can you imagine that scene? I can't. I can't even imagine this scene. This is wicked. Does God know this is going on all the time? Yeah. He's up there watching this whole deal. Is He merciful? He's got to be. Day after day after day, this is happening. These people are rising up, drinking, and this drunken ball they're having... And Moses gets down and he looks down over that and he sees what's going on all through that valley. There is two or three or four million people down there. Like the Dallas Fort Metroplex. I can't even fathom this. And he throws them stones down. And in his anger, it lights the fire of God. And the Lord says, Death angel, go get them. And people started dying all over the place. Moses saw this. He started pleading with God, please God, don't kill them all. And if it hadn't been for Moses to intercede, I think God had killed every one of them. Yeah. In fact, he did say one time, Moses, get out of the way. I'll wipe them all out. I'll make a new nation of you. You think God was a little hot that day? It's a good thing he's merciful with us today, isn't it, brother? If he wasn't, we would all be dead. Then it says, oh, here's the other one. Neither murmur. You know what murmur means? Complain. Neither complain as some of them also murmured or complained and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Who's that beast? That's Satan himself. That's the big boy. Who turned the big boy loose on these people? The Lord did. Do you want Him to turn Him loose on you? Uh-uh. So you know what we need to do when it comes to murmuring and complaining? Verse 11 says, Now all these things, all these things happened unto them as examples, and they are written for our admonition. Upon whom the end of the world are come. Who are these things written for? Who are these examples for today? The church. 
You and me. To remind me and you, Keith. No, no grumbling and complaining. He turned the, he turned the devil himself loose on them boys when they grumbled and complained. Now, see, this is where the mercy of God comes in. We might grumble and complain. God says, okay, that's one time. Now, I'm a, I, that's kind of like, I don't know, I've got to tell this little story. I'm not much of a storyteller, but I, this is pretty good. One day there was a guy. He gets out there and he gets his wife and him and they're going to, and back in the Western days, you no know, country Western days, and that's back when they, they wore their guns to town because there was Indians and all kinds of snakes and everything else. And so he said uh, they're getting out there to go and they're going to go to town. And he gets out there and the horse won't go. He finally gets that old horse, gets her hooked up there, and he pops her and she won't go. Man, he pops her four or five times and says, horse, go! And finally beat that horse and she went and said, horse, that's one. They drive down the road a little while and all of a sudden they go around the corner and the horse stops. And he had to beat that horse again. He said, horse, that's twice. And finally, they go down the road a little further, and the horse stops, and he gets off and pulls out his fifth gun, and right between the eyes, kills that horse. That horse, that's three. That's it. You're dead. Kills the horse. And his wife says, what are you doing killing the horse? He said, woman, that's one. <laughs> now, are you all getting the point with God? He counts. Children, that's one. That's two. That's three. Now, thank goodness he don't go just to three. Are we glad of that? Because if he had me and you'd be dead already, right? Thank goodness he says, okay, that's the 519th time you've done that. Okay, I'm going to get you this time. And then we fuss when he does something, right? Is that right, brother? Now, see, that's God's mercy. And he endures a lot longer than the farmer did with his horse. And if he didn't, we would all be in big trouble. But according to this Scripture, God doesn't like these things. And when we do them, there's going to come a time it's going to bring sickness and disease upon us and death and destruction. And if we sin, sin eventually is going to bring forth death. Now then, as... Doctors today that are making a living out there off of those of us that are sinning. They're doing their best to correct what we're doing in sin. But did you know I've seen it over and over and over. Of course, Ty and I have both seen it. And every doctor has. You can bring people in that's got cancer. And you can work on them. You can do everything. And they spend millions in research, probably billions in research, trying to find things that will correct cancer. And every time they find something that will kill one part, another strain breaks out somewhere else that you can't cure. And we think, why? You'd think we should be able to master some of these things. Well, let me tell you, just like I told the people the other day, I guarantee I can stop AIDS in the world in one generation. All they got to do is abstinence. And I guarantee. Did you ever think how strange this is? That a, say a man and a woman that's not married has a sexual relationship and one or both of them, say one of them had a venereal disease and the other one didn't, and they do have it now, then both of them got it. Both of them. And if they happen to have sex with somebody else, then whoever they had sex with is going to have it too. And sometimes... Some of those diseases take a while to fully manifest. 
And so they may spread this thing around to six or eight people before they know it. And this may be a disease that's going to kill you in short order. And one sexual encounter with a person like that can kill you. But yet it's never been known you take one pure man and one pure woman and put them together and they can have sex one or ten times a day the rest of their life and never have a venereal disease. Isn't that amazing? So it's not the number of times people have sex that causes them to come down with venereal disease. It's breaking God's law, falling from grace, and opening the door to the demons of hell that come in and bite you. They're the ones that put this on you. Isn't it amazing? A man's married, has a normal sexual relationship with his wife for 20 years. No problems. Then he leaves her for another woman and has sex with one other woman in the process, and bam, comes down with an incurable venereal disease. Isn't that amazing? What does that sin? Who was behind putting that on the guy? God was. Who turned the destroyer loose on him? God did. Why did God turn that loose on him? Because of his sin. Now then, let's close with this one over here. Let's go to 1 John 5. And I want to show you something. The Lord says here in 1 John 5. First John 5, 17. Actually, 16 to start out with. First John 5, 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death. I mean, if we thought for a minute there really was a sin unto death and he didn't tell us what it was, we, the church, would do our best to stop sinning. Because he says here, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. So you got a sin of sin unto death? He said, there is a sin unto death. And I do not say that you shall pray for it. So sometimes somebody has sinned a sin unto death. And you don't know what it is. And you pray for them anyway. And they die anyway. Have I ever prayed for somebody over and over and over and tried my best to get them healed and they died anyway? Oh, yeah. Many times I've done that. Why is it I walk up to one man? Say, say this little lady right here that's here tonight. Her and her husband drove up from San Antonio, I think, or whatever today. It's for Bible study tonight. Let's say that she has an incurable disease and she comes to me and she repents of her sins. She's just learning these things for the first time. And she repents, and I lay hands on her and pray for her. What more than likely, if, the, if she's repented and she didn't know these things, what's God going to do for her when I pray for her? He's going to heal her, just like He did you, Sharon. He's going to heal her, just like He has so many of you. Well, what if she had been told over and over and over that certain things were sin, and she just kept on doing them? And now she comes down with a terminal disease, and she comes in and says, I know it's not right to hold an unforgiveness, but I hate everybody I know. I mean, that'd be a pretty serious thing, would you say, brother? So she knows that God says don't hold a grudge against nobody. And the last 30 years she's known it, but everybody she's come in contact with, she's made light of them, fun of them, and hated them, and hold a grudge against every one of them. And now she's on her deathbed. 
And she comes to me and says, I want to ask God to forgive me, and I want you to pray for me. Well, now what can I do? I can ask God to forgive her, and I can pray for her. But if he don't heal her and she dies, guess who made that decision? The king did. The king did. Why did he kill her instead of letting her live? Because he'd give her 30 years and probably who knows how many times, but I can assure you, in the 30 years of her holding grudges, he'd sent person after person after person. She'd been in church and heard the message preached, forgive or you shall not be forgiven. She'd heard that over and over and over, but she would never yield to it. So finally one day the king said, that's it. You've committed a sin unto death. Bam. And so now then, she's dying. Now she wants to live. But, with God's mercy, He could forgive her and heal her, couldn't He? Sure He could. So that's why we pray for Him anyway, because we don't know when they've committed a sin unto death. So we don't never tell you that we ain't going to pray for you. We'll always pray for you, and we're going to always believe God's going to be merciful and heal you. Because His mercy is beyond our wildest dreams. And only He knows. But it says there, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin that's not unto death. Aren't we glad for that? We're so glad. Now then, this is the tough one. Verse 18. This is where God wants us to walk. We know that whosoever is born of God does not sin. Not at all. You're not supposed to sin a little. Not at all. That'll separate the Christians from those that are just playing Christians. This is a tough one. But he that is begotten of God, they're really a child of God, you keep yourself from evil. And the wicked one cannot touch you. Is that a good thing? So you don't walk in no kind of sin? You walk holy before the king? That devil comes up to you and he says, I'm going to get you this week, girl. You can laugh at him just like that, can't you? Amen. Amen. See? I mean, but that's what you can do. See, it, that devil, he'll try. He says, I mean, he'll come up to you and say, I'm going to, I'm going to get you. I'm going to put a pain on you. <laughs> yeah. See, what, what happens whenever he starts to put a pain on you? You know you're obedient. You know you're walking obedient to the Word. Then you said, devil. I have submitted myself to the king. I resist you with a word. Now you got to get out of here. In the name of Jesus. And he goes, that's the young lady. And is that a good place to walk? Now then, the Lord says there in James 4 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What does it mean to submit? Does that mean you can sin a little? Does it mean you can grumble a little? Does that mean you can tempt him a little? No, not at all. That means you've got to walk in obedience to his word, walk in love. You walk in the God kind of love. Then, just like the young lady said back there, she's talking about snatching him bald headed. That, that, that is a, that is an, that is an earthly thing a way of presenting the fact that I'm going to beat you, devil. I'm going to beat you. But snatching him bald-headed don't do nothing for the devil. You've got to beat him with the Word. That's the only way you can beat the devil. 
So when the devil comes and tries to put a pain or something, and he will do it to you even when you're walking in obedience to him. He'll come by and put some test on you. He'll try you. He'll come put thoughts in your mind. He'll do all kinds of things. That's what the Lord told us to capture those thoughts. You know, don't let that devil do it to you. Because he'll come to you and, and just like today. Just like today, I was, I went up to the parts house to buy a part for a person's car that I'm working on. And I was up there and I'm, when I went in, I asked for a part and the guy said, I got one. He went back to get it and he come back and said, I just got another one in just Saturday. But I can't find it. He said, are you in a big hurry? I said, well, no. I've got somebody at the ministry center I've got to pray for, but I can wait a few minutes. He said, the other store just left over there right now. they got one with them. So in just ten minutes, I'll have one here. I said, okay. So I can wait ten minutes. Not a problem. <clears throat> so I'm standing there waiting, and all of a sudden the guy said, where's so-and-so? And he, he worked for them, obviously. And he said, well, Saturday morning, he had a heart attack, and he's in the hospital. He said, you mean he's in a hospital again? And the guy said, yeah. He said, you know, that guy don't listen. You can't tell him nothing. He smokes three packs of cigarettes a day and said, you can't tell him nothing. He don't listen to nothing nobody tells him. I'm standing over there and I said, sir, do you know anybody that listens? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, do you know anybody that pays total of Attention to what somebody says and listens. I said, do you obey everything? He said, no, I guess I don't either. I said, well, before you judge that boy, I said, you need to be careful. Because when you're pointing the finger at him, you're pointing several back at you. You know, I said, you know, you could be next. And so I said, you know, are you boys Christians? You know Jesus? And a couple of them said, yes. And I said, well, let me tell you, what can be done if you're walking in obedience to His Word and walking in a God kind of love. And I shared with them Caitlin and Kelly's miracle. And they were all awestruck. I said, we ain't never heard of a story like that. Never. I said, what a shame. I said, we all should have stories like that. That where God has answered our prayers like that. So I said, that tells me something. We don't listen. I said, I didn't listen most of my life. And then one day I started listening. When I started listening, I saw what was required of me and what I had to do. And so, so I've come to realize now that I don't know anybody that listens to the Word completely. Nobody. A lot of us try. But I don't know a single man that believes this book 100% and listens to everything God says. None of us. How many of y'all, let me ask you a question. This week... How many of you know you've grumbled and complained a little about something? <laughs> See that? See, we all are guilty. You know? I mean, isn't that amazing? We hear this over and over and over. No, we ain't supposed to do it. But how many of you this week, let me just ask for a show of hands on this. How many of you know somewhere in the last week or seven, eight or ten days, you've stepped out of love with somebody? Isn't that amazing? Now, we know the king told us, I command you to love one another. And we step out anyway, don't we? It's a good thing he's merciful, isn't it? If he wasn't, I got a feeling we'd be over for most of us, don't you? I know it would have been for me. He's had plenty of opportunities to put me away. And you know he has for you too. So thank goodness for his mercy. 
or what should that make us want to do since He is so merciful? We ought to want to love Him and serve Him, shouldn't we? We ought to want to walk holy in obedience to His Word. Not to go out of here tonight thinking about, I wonder what kind of sin I can get away with. No, no, no. That shouldn't even be in our mind, should it? We should go out and say, Lord, let me be that loving, kind instrument that you can use this week for your glory. Lord, I'm going to die to me, and I want you to live through me the rest of this week. And he says, now we're getting somewhere. As long as you stay dead, he said, I can do some pretty good work through that thing. Is that right, Gita? <laughs> as long as you can stay dead, I can do some good things through you. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for another Tuesday night Bible study. We're grateful for the time we have here to talk about your magnificent word and how this works. And, Lord, we are, we are so grateful that as long as we walk into God kind of love, we are not under law but under grace. Lord, we're thankful that you showed us when we do fall from grace, we fall back under the law. And then the demons of hell have legal right to us. So that ought to give us an incentive to stay in love. Because you told us clearly in Galatians chapter 5, I didn't get through that tonight, but verse 6 says, Our faith works by love. So if we don't have love, we don't have no faith. It won't work. So that's why we can't ask you for these mighty miracles and expect them to happen. Because until we're walking in the God kind of love, our faith does not work. So, Lord, help us to walk in a God kind of life. We want to be able to pray and see you show up and do great and mighty things. And we realize that the size and the number of the miracles that you do for us totally is based around our holiness. If we don't walk holy before you, you don't answer our prayer. If we walk holy before you a little bit, you answer a little bit of prayers. If we walk a medium amount, you answer a medium. If we walk holy before you... You do a lot of great and mighty things. And that's where we want to get. All of us have that desire to walk in your presence like that. So we can see you do these great and mighty things when we pray for people. Thank you, Father, for your word. Bless us as we go forth this week and use us for your glory. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name.